Okay, this is so exciting and fun. Welcome everyone um, to the second episode ever of the Rise Above series. And this is a series where we talk about, well, me, because I'm the interviewer, um, where I get to talk to um, really cool people who have really cool stories and share life experiences that they went through and how they not just overcame them but or survived them but thrived and are currently thriving. So today is super cool because I have an individual named Andres Gamboa. Barrera, and he is the creator and host of the Ponytails podcast. He has a degree in economics from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I would do their sign or call sign, but I actually don't know what it is. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. And (laughs) um, he is originally from Bogota, Colombia, And Andres and his family came to a small town in Nebraska when he was in elementary school, a harrowing story he shared in his recent bestseller, The Cost of Citizenship. In addition to being a published author, Andres loves to make people laugh as a stand-up comedian. He currently lives in Portland, Oregon with his beautiful wife, Brianna. Brianna, we did just talk about that. It is Brianna. (laughs) And awesome dogs, Goku and Bulma. Bulma. Yeah. So I think the most obvious question that I immediately have to start off with is what the heck are those names <laughs> for your dogs? This is this is a great question. And it does tie into the full story of like that you're wanting to talk about here. Okay. Um, so as a little kid, my dad, the way we spent time with my dad was we um, – uh, watch this TV show. He's the one that got us into this TV show. It's called Dragon Ball Z. I don't know if you've ever heard of that show. It's like an anime. Actually, yes, I have yeah. actually. So yeah. Goku is the main character in the show and his whole like shtick, his whole uh, personality is about kindness and love and hard work and respect and self-improvement. Like the whole show is driven by his desire to do all of those things as naturally as possible and by that of course he becomes like the strongest warrior in the universe as the show progresses so goku is like the main character so that's why we named the dog goku which is funny because every time i run into someone who knows the show and they meet the dogs they're like that's awesome um it's not a lot of dogs in goku and then um which they should be and then Bulma is also some a character that we meet at the first episode and they become friends. And then throughout the show, they became lifelong friends and they share like she's not a warrior. She's just kind of like a very uh, fashion oriented girl, but she's looking for the Dragon Balls and Goku has one of them. And so that's how they run into each other. But that's where it comes from. But it, I started watching it because and it's important because every Hispanic kid that grew up in the 90s has seen that show like every single one of them pretty much that's probably huh. generalizing but that it's pretty popular in the latino culture in the 90s so well i why am i thinking it was on a game boy nintendo yeah DS i mean or something. Was they it? made games out of it probably yeah it's probably okay. some sort of console where it's like they you can like be goku and fly and you know save the world and all that yeah stuff. it's a great show but it's anime so yeah. <laughs> it's niche but also it's like one of the greatest animes of all time it's like pokemon and Dragon Ball Z were like the two leading animes of the 90s. And then, incredible. You know, yeah, they made it popular. They made it cool. If gotcha. You that. 
Okay. Well, you know, I was an avid Avatar fan, but I don't know if that counts as authentic anime. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Avatar not, is phenomenal. It's like just it as is. good. It's but Dragon Ball Z has got like the same kind of story of like Aang, where he's like he's like the mm-hmm. chosen one, right? Same idea of like yeah. constantly improving, treating people well. So my dad wanted us to watch him because he was like a role model for us to work hard, you know, be kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I love that. I secretly have a girl crush on Zuko, and I'm not proud of it, but he, I am. <laughs> but <the> um, <laughs> no, it is, it is, and the you know, it's the grungy vibe, and uh, it was really appealing to a 12 year old watching the show. But <laughs> okay, enough. so you um wrote a book. And yeah. you've you've got a pretty crazy life story. So honestly, I'll let you take the reins of just starting us off with kind of explaining your life and how you grew up, how you came to America. And I'm just going to pop in and interject questions as they sure. come up. Yeah. So, I mean, this is literally a long enough story to be a book. Like. <laughs> So I guess how how do you you like the long version, the medium version, or the short version? Um, let's go. Let's go with the medium version because I'm gonna assume the short version is like I don't know five ten minutes. (laughs) Yeah, very short. I was physically here and then I moved here. Yeah. Um, The short version is my family was going to be murdered, so we moved to the United States. That's like the quick. (laughs) You needed to do a quick spiel. Elevator pitch. We almost died. Um, okay, so medium version. So Colombia. I was born uh, in Bogota, Colombia. It's a capital. Um, and uh, in the nineties. Well, okay. This is gonna be like the medium long story, just because there's context. So okay. Colombia between like nineteen fifty five or something like that, and uh, twenty fifteen or twenty ten was in the longest civil war of any country like ever it was like 60 years now that's yeah whatever historians will argue about that but the point is it was long like decades okay so um in colombia there is also very naturally uh it's, it's one of the most biodiverse countries so everything can grow there everything can thrive there it's full of like beautiful animals and all this stuff and um, one of the things that grow there besides coffee and beautiful flowers is coca leaf plants, which then can be used to create and synthesize cocaine. So that's important to the story. I thought you were going to uh, go the chocolate direction. Not I would the co- love. But, yeah. Okay. I yeah. know. <laughs> it'd be great if okay. we had, that's cacao plants. This is coca leaves. Oh, difference. Um, yeah. <laughs> very close, but I wish chocolate. Oh man. I mean, we make beautiful chocolate humans, uh, but um but from a standpoint of like chocolate no um okay so that's important because because of cocaine and because of the conflict the drug dealers that were exporting drugs out to the united states and the rebels if you want to call them that they were like this communist group called the farc imagine like the isis but of colombia and instead of religious freedom of like islam like isis and al-qaeda they were more like communism so they were trying to take over the Colombian government, which was pretty corrupt. So for good reason, but they were the bad guys in the story. So the drug dealers needed money or the drug dealers needed protection from the government and from the police and the FARC group, F- the yeah, FARC is the acronym. They needed money, which the drug dealers had because Americans were buying a ton of cocaine. <laughs> it was like a big 
as you've heard you've watched narcos i don't know if you've seen but anyway so that's what happened so they kind of like joined forces and then when pablo escobar died in like 1993 then the cartels kind of all kind of some of them stuck around but the biggest cartel in the world which is pablo's kind of was left for the highest bidder whoever wanted to take it over right and some of those were by the FARC and a mix. So where we come into the story, my family, and this, all this violence is important to understand because the FARC um, were all over the country. I mean, you couldn't travel without risk of kidnapping. It was not an ideal place to be. Now it's great, but back then, not ideal. So my dad had a business where he made construction materials and um all sorts of different things for buildings and construction. Yeah. So uh, that business location was located just like an hour outside of Bogota, which is where we lived and up the mountain. And then further up the mountain, like another hour was this giant army base that was there for strategic military purposes. So the FARC attacked that base and then the, and they, they blew them up, but they survived the attack, but they got blown. They, the, the base took some major structural damage and so they came to my dad and were like hey help us out you got construction materials we need construction we need some help so my dad helped them and there was like a business deal struck where he would make some money off of it too but basically they became they needed him so um that was not ideal for fark so on his way home they stopped him in the middle of the road and it was like dirt road in the mountains of columbia they had all all my guns. They put a gun to his head and they were like, Hey, we know where your wife works. We know where your kids go to school. They named us and we're going to murder you all and leave you alive to watch as we like do all these horrific things. So what are you going to do? Oh. And so then he was like, just, you know, scared to hell, scared as hell. And so, um, they also asked him to instead work for them and they let him live and he left and he's like i don't want to work for them but i don't want to keep helping the army so we went hiding for a little bit and then after a while it was decided we should just move wait where went um, we just laid there. low like in a cave so, i'm picturing no, a bunker no we moved we moved apartments great question so okay. we moved apartments and we moved to a different part of the city went to a new school like try to like get lost it's a big city so um you know and we weren't like necessarily high profile targets it was just like a like it's more like a we were like a splinter of all the conflicts that the FARC had, we were just, but it was definitely against their, you know, well wishes because they went through all this effort to try to take the space, didn't work. And so now it was like, my dad's like the big guy that's the problem and in that particular region, but they had other fish to fry. However, they were keeping taps because then we saw them again in the new place that we moved. We saw them in the area, in the vicinity. Um, and there's way, way longer version of this, but yeah. So, then <laughs> I'm telling you it's a book. Um, and so, and so then we were like, we got to move. So my dad moved first. He moved here in March of 2000 zero. And then we moved in July of 2000 zero. Um, so, I mean, there are so many parts of this that were really difficult. Uh, we had to come as tourists. So Colombians couldn't get visas to come to the United States because we were stereotypically drug dealers. And so the government was trying to not let Colombian citizens into the United States unless they had a really good reason. And ours was that we were going to go see Mickey in Disney World. Mouse? Oh, yeah. wow. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's we a legitimate reason. So when we were at the embassy, when we were asking, we were at the U.S. embassy and we're asking for a visa, they're like, why do you want to go to the United States? And my dad's like, well, you know, my two kids, they love, you know, we want to go tour. We've heard it's amazing. And we had to like sell the idea that we were going to just be there for touring. You get six months to come tour and then you got to go back home. That's the tourist visa. But, you know, no, we weren't going to come back home. So we came here legally, but then we had to live illegally. And as soon as we were aware of what we needed, we applied for something called political asylum, which is basically that very basic format of saying, hey, we need to stay here because if we go back, we're going to get murdered. Now, that is a very hard process. And this is like gets a little political because of the immigration system the way it's set up is just actually really not very good for anybody both the united states and the people coming in because it's a lottery first of all it's a lottery to get a visa to come in they could there's no real rhyme or reason to how they pick people to be tourists or to come here like other visas you can get as like work visas or student visas right i'm gonna go study at a university you have to prove that you got into university and then you move and you can only be here for school and then the other one is work where it's like Google wants me because I'm really, really smart and I'm Colombian. And so Google asks the government, hey, we need him to live here because he's smart and he wants we want him to work at Google or whatever. And so a company can ask for that, but that, that's a whole complicated process. And then, of course, the tourists, which is I want to go see whatever. And so um, now our political asylum is we just to get in was the first lottery that we won. So we got lucky there. And then the second lottery is if they want to take our case. So we have to go to a lawyer, which is expensive, and we have no money. And so we have to figure that out and save up so we can do it. And they went to this lawyer and said, hey, here's the case. We have this information, this information. Um, luckily, my parents had the foresight to bring some of like receipts and some documents and stuff that proved what we were talking about. Because if we hadn't had that, we wouldn't have been allowed to stay. We would have had to move to Canada or because we weren't going back, right? So it was like, yeah. we got to not go to Columbia. So... Um, the way that it works is it's a lottery and a, and you have to hope they have a good lawyer. The lawyer then presents to the judge and says, hey, we have a case here. We go to court and then we got denied. So we appealed. And then we got denied. We appealed and we went to a different court. Again? Court. Yeah, we got, we got denied three times. We ended up having to go to the Nebraska Supreme Court or something like the district. Wow. Or, I don't remember how exactly how, I, how high I went up now, but it went up high. Like We had to appeal several times and it cost money every time because, of course, and we don't America. have because it. it's America. Because <laughs> it's America. America. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, and so it's and it's not cheap. I mean, lawyer fees are not cheap. So, but my you. parents were so when we moved, he had no money. We had no. My parents just had to go. My dad went from being the CEO of this major, not like, not like nationwide major, but like pretty hefty, uh, you know, business. And my mom was an accountant for like the top one of the top. She was one of the head accountants for one of the top banks in Colombia at the time. So they were educated and well, I mean, they were doing, we're not making millions, but for the left cell, we were doing great. And right. um, we come here, my dad has to go clean up horse manure uh, in the, the stables at the racetrack. And during the day and at night, he would go pack meat. So he was working double shifts. My mom was like doing hotel rooms. So she's like the one that does housekeeping at the hotel rooms and she's picking out uh, and, and assembly lines like onions and garlic and stuff that's being processed so uh, on the conveyor belts just trying to pick out the bad ones like that's what they went to now there's nothing wrong with those jobs and those are honorable professions and they're very important to the society that we live in 
However, it was not what they were expecting when they were graduating with the degrees, you know, so it was a right. humbling experience to say the least for them. And through that, we kept paying for the bills and we kept trying to make it happen. We finally got uh, political asylum. And then, by the way, still never went to Disney, right, at this point. So, <sighs> so <laughs> tragic. And the so, worst part of the story, I think. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so, but the, the, this is where the book is. And this is the story we t- I tell the book in more detail. But we finally get political asylum. You have to have that for a year. But once you get a, a granted political, political asylum, then you get work permits to work legally mm. and make money legally gotcha right because we were working illegally that's what was while we were waiting <laughs> so right. um um and we actually we issued the work permits before because once we got into the system entering into the political asylum system alone is really difficult because basically what happens is and the reason people don't do it and you hear this all the time in the news about like why don't they just work here legally well here's why because mm-hmm. if we had gotten denied they knew our names and where we lived so they could just come get us and kick us out. So by admitting that we're here and we need help, we're essentially saying, hey, we need to stay. And if we can't, we understand we have to leave. Or we could just not say anything and work illegally and just try to make and hope that we don't get pulled over at a stop sign or something, right? Because then we'll get deported because we'll show up that we're illegal. So it's a, it's a tough choice to make because you're essentially, you're going all in. If this doesn't work, we can't stay. Where the hell are we going to go? You know, so we made that choice. So that was the second thing we got. But once you make that choice, they let you work. So that was another thing that happened is once we made that choice to apply, as we were going through the appeal process, my parents were able to like transfer their degrees over and then have them be acknowledged. And so they could get better jobs. But for like, but it took like two years for that to happen. So anyway, so now we get applied for political asylum. You have to have it for a year. And then after that, you can apply for residency and that costs money, but you do it. And then once you get residency, you can have that for four and a half to five years. And once you have that, then you can apply for citizenship. And then they have that's a whole different process. It costs money, of course. So you do that. And then once you get that, then you get a call one day from the Department of Homeland Security saying, hey, you know, for me, it was November 6th. This is a longer story than this. It's actually after I sold books. The summer after I sold books. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, holy cow. Okay. And for context, Andres sold books in what year? In 2012. So this was my first time it was 2012. Okay. So this is fairly um, recent. Well, 10 years ago. Yeah, it was but, like 10 years ago, yeah. but it took like 12 yeah. since we had moved. So, um, uh, so yeah, so on November 6th, 2012, I get a, or no, it was like October of 2012. I get a letter in the mail and it's from the Department of Homeland Security. And it says, hey, you're gonna, you need to be in at this place in our building, which is in Omaha at the time, on this day at this time to take your citizenship test. If you miss it, you're it's going to be another while before you can take it. Like this is because the lines backed up, so you can't miss it. <laughs> so you have to go do it. And if you pass, then you will do the ceremony that same day, and you will be sworn in as a U.S. citizen on that day. So on November sixth, I went there in Omaha to to do that. Um, I passed a test, which most U.S. born Americans can't pass. <laughs> It's like I remember reading that statistic somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. then and then um and then I you know there's this at the time President Obama was the president and so he comes up on this big screen and he said welcome home. And we got and I was sworn in as a US citizen. My parents had gotten it months earlier. So I was the last one in my family. And then that Christmas, so a month later, 
we went to Disney World. And we all like cried. We were it was for New Year's. (laughs) And we went and we went. That's why I have a tattoo of Magic Kingdom on my arm. Oh, that's awesome. Um uh I yeah, it was we were there on New Year's and the the we went to go see Mickey, right? We haven't seen Mickey, and so we get there and like the castle is lit up and it's like counting down with like fireworks. And one of the things that for 12 years I had always been proud of is my parents never lied. They growing up, they were pretty honest. When we were going to move here, they were like, hey, some bad guys want to hurt us and we have to move. That's why we're leaving. But we're going to go see Mickey. But then we moved here and it's like, hey, we are going to, we have no money and we're going to have to make it work and it's going to be tough for a while, but we're eventually going to see Mickey. So this whole time, like my parents were always honest the way they raised us about life and, you know, growing up was always super open. And when we were there, it was like, that was the one thing that they had not fulfilled. So when that clock started counting down to zero on New Year's Eve at Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, we started just bawling, like just crying because it just yeah. felt like we had finally made it. And we did. So then that happened. And then since then, it's just been up. My parents are like super involved in their community. My dad is a coach. He's helped like... He's coached like 180 kids through soccer through their like teenage years. And uh, a lot of them have gone to college because of that. Like, like, so like, I think the count was like at 30 or something last time I checked, like they were able to get into school because of soccer. Um, and most of them were, you know, immigrant kids. Um, my mom has helped start like over 300 businesses in the last three or four years in the community, mostly uh, of immigrants mm-hmm. who don't know what to do. They are just super, super incredible leaders in the small communities of Nebraska. And they're pretty well recognized, generally speaking, um, in, you know, in that small pond of that state. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, my brother is married, you know, two kiddos. I'm married, no kids. And my other brother who was born here, um, he has just released like a second EP in his album and his band. He's crushing it. Um. So it just became like this idea of how do we take this negative and turn it into a positive and make it work. So that's yeah. kind of like the medium. medium I think, problem. okay, my, so I have a lot of questions, but the first one is, uh, cause I'm a visual person. Um, and I love when people tell stories, I picture it in my head as they're talking. So how old were you in 2000 when right. you came to Nebraska? Yeah, so I was seven. Danny was okay. five, my seven. brother. Yeah. I was seven, Danny was five. My mom was in her early 30s, maybe. That's crazy to think about. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, and I just can't, I mean, to watch as a kid, your parents have the humility to be able to take these jobs of, I mean, literally shoving horse manure and, what did you say, packing meat at night and just seeing your dad work so hard to support his family. I mean, one, what was in terms of growing up poor? Are there very tangible things that you remember? You know, having no presents at Christmas, or in what ways were your life affected that still you remember to this day? And then oh, two, yeah. um, what do you? How do you think watching your parents be able to do that to support y'all has affected you? So yeah, I guess two questions. <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, that's great questions. Uh, uh, the first one, I mean, a lot. I mean, and a lot of my cover in the book, it was really interesting because most of the book, the theme of the book is the uh, a running 
phrase that I use in the book is it's interesting what a seven-year-old remembers or what a 12-year-old. So I talk about all of these memories as I, I mean, I remember having like mice in our house and we would, when we moved, we had nothing. We would lay on the carpet and the family that owned the house before had a baby and a dog, neither of which were potty trained. So there was like all sorts of different smells oh, that we would lay on. We had like my parents, like all the clothes that they had were like dress up clothes because that was like for their job. And so like we would lay on my dad's dress shirts and my mom's skirts that they oh were not gosh. going to use at their job yeah. as like sheets to like lay down so the smell wouldn't be as bad. Um, and so on Saturday nights or on Sunday nights, whenever they had the night off that they weren't both working, we would take our broken, busted down van, drive around this town, and it was our scavenger night. So basically we would find like the, the my parents would be like, all right, so we are on the lookout on driveways for anything that we could use to for the house. So we would drive, oh, there's two chairs and we'd pick them up from someone's driveway. Or like, you know, you see stuff on the street like that, we would take them and that's how we furnished our house over like the first few months. And then, oh my um, gosh, yeah, just wow. you know, I remember people telling me that I was weird, that I was different. I didn't know any English, and so at school, the only thing that made sense was math because it doesn't, especially like early math like that, where you're doing multiplication and subtraction, right. additions like it just doesn't matter what language you speak, right? It just makes sense. Um, but you know, English, not good. I mean, I got told I've, I've been called all sorts of racial things uh and and again and this is this is, these are the visceral ones right i also have phenomenal memories right there's right. uh people whose kindness extended way beyond and above anything that a neighbor would do uh people who really gave us our last bill you know our last dollar bill that we they didn't know we were out of or things like that just so the, equally there's just as many blessings that are really vivid in my head as there were um, misfortunes, but at the, I mean, it was, that's just the hands that we were dealt and that's just what was normal, you know? So I didn't know at the time that that was something that was not normal until I started, you know, until I was much older, um, from the sample of like when you ask like, my parents and how that, that changed, well, it, it's actually kind of double edged because I, I asked my mom one time, um, when I was graduating high school, I said, Hey, it is, I was the first one to graduate from a high school us high school so in the whole family so hmm. i'm like how does that feel she was actually and i thought she was going to give me like some like quick response but she made me cry she was like well i'm really proud of you because i don't know how to raise you american like i didn't know how to teach you about the culture or the sports or the school dances or how grades worked or any of that stuff it's way different you had to figure that out on your own like you raised yourself from a standpoint of like being an american right I raised you from a standpoint of being a Colombian. That's all I knew. And you didn't forget those roots either. And so I'm really proud that you did this on your own and that we were able to help you where we could, but you, it was, this was all you. So that's kind of cool to hear from your parents, but it's also mm -hmm. the shoes that my, my biggest fear when, you know, people ask you like, what's your biggest fear? And so people say snakes or spiders or whatever. Mine. Oh my gosh. Wait, stop. That's mine. <laughs> and <laughs> <Yeah>. the dark. <laughs> yeah. The dark yeah. is scary. The dark is so scary. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's being a bad dad. And not, not that I don't yeah. think I'll be a good dad. I think I'll be, a, 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 I'll do a, a fine job. I hope I do a great job. Um, but compared to what my father did, what my mother did, I mean, how do I live up to that? You know, mm -hmm. how do I, 
I, I, I just mentioned my mom was in her early 30s. I just turned 30 last year. And in my, in my head, I'm like, if I had two kids that I had to move countries because we were going to be murdered and then lead them to this place that I don't know anything about. And like, all, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, and my, right now I'd be like, no, with no money, like no way. I mean, I'm sure I would do it, but I'd be terrified. You know what I mean? And so that's scary to just not be able to live up to that. Uh, on the other hand, you know, um, just like Goku in the TV show, we we were respectful. We tried to learn and adapt. We took it seriously that what we were doing of trying to become an American and trying to and trying to like assimilate. Right? We didn't forget our roots though either and who we were, but we tried to embrace the culture that we were having having to learn. Um, we had to deal with the hardships of racism and um, you know xenophobia of people who you know, think because I'm Colombian that I'm going to harm them or that because I'm Hispanic that I'm going to harm them. It still happens every day, you know, but dealing with those things has become easier because of the way that my parents taught us to handle that stuff. And so there's like, there's that as well too. So to answer your question, it's, it's, it's complex. You know, it's, there's, there's a lot of amazing things to take, but then there's a lot of pressure too, you know, um, I was just showing you my degree right before we got recording and yeah, it took yeah. me seven and a half years to get that degree. Cause I didn't want to go to school. Yeah. I, I, I sold books. And so I found out that my path was more entrepreneurial and I could do it without education, but, and I got in school debt because my parents were like, you have to get a degree. Like there was a lot of pressure about that. So that was, you know, I don't know if that was the best thing to do, but financially, but I got the damn thing. <laughs> so I did it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally when I graduated, I almost gave it to my mom. I was like, here, this is for you. Oh. I didn't want this. You know, I did it because you wanted me to, but that's it. But if it was up to me, I think this was a terrible financial decision. And I studied economics, so I would know that this was a bad idea. <laughs> you know, so um, the opportunity cost was not good. I mean, it was too great, but here you go. Um, anyway, so that, that, that's kind of where it still kind of rings. Um, and, and, and you just kind of have to learn to navigate that. Right. Cause nobody's done it. I, 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 40 million people have done it. Right. There's 40 million Im immigrants or something, but nobody that I know it, like, we're all doing it on like learning and they're all each case by case, different scenarios. Right. Some people had it worse than we did. Some people had it better than we did. Who's to say, yeah. you know, we're all, we've all been through which is why I think what you're doing is great because we've all been through the hardest thing that we've ever been through. So, you know, my hard thing versus episode one's hard thing and episode three's hard thing is going to be different, but it's our, it's, that's the, that was our mountain, you know? So. Yeah. Man, I think, um, even, even it just shows my naivete when I asked, Oh, what was it like growing up? Poor. Are you, oh, did you get less presents at Christmas? I mean, really, I speak and I know myself and and um, a lot of people in my circle and who I grew up with. I mean, we just have lived very comfortable lives. I have lived a very, very comfortable life. And so to even try and imagine what it's like to grow up where you don't have a bed, you are sleeping on your parents' work clothes that they can no longer wear. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty wild to me. And, and, and you know, spending your Sunday nights scavenging for different <laughs> furniture. 
Yeah. I mean, it just, it really puts a different perspective on my life personally and the things that I've had to go through. I think, and to your point too, I think that's one of my favorite things about doing and starting the series is I think a lot of times we can just get really so wrapped up in our life and a lot of times things can feel like the end of the world. But the reality is, is yes, we we are each individually going through a hard thing, but everyone is too. And, and everyone's hard thing looks different. And so um, at least with me, it's re- it's been like, wow, my life is really, I'm very privileged. Like God has given me so many different things. Um, but, but so anyways, like, that. The thing is like, that doesn't mean, I mean, I don't think that because life's hard, man. Like as I've grown up, like at first I used to be angry about it. Like people don't understand. And I look, I would probably, there's probably a girl in my high school who was like you. Right. And she, uh, you know, uh, seemed like life was easy. Right. And, 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 and I'm sure like to an extent, I understand what you're saying, right. You grew up and I'm not going to use you as an example, maybe just, uh, think of a rich kid. It's like some, you know, who goes to a private school and, all this nice stuff right that's great you know and but i don't know it, like is is your dad working all the time so you never saw him you know what i mean like or it was there maybe your parents fought a lot i don't like like i don't you just don't know you just don't know what people have been through and even if you were to say well relatively that person still had it easier than you know the let's say someone who had a crazier story than mine, right? Maybe their parents didn't, maybe one of their parents did get killed and then the mom had to take the kids. And and so like, that's, you can argue that's quote worse than my story and, or worse than your story, but it doesn't like how bad the, uh, the hand is, doesn't make it any less, uh, like challenging. You know what I'm saying? Like it's severe. Yeah. I mean, it, yes, that's, you can argue that that's worse, right? Someone who had to go through some, <laughs> yeah. like, I can, I can understand why that sentiment, but on the other hand, it's like, maybe this person is just like, we have different talents. We also have different like curses, right? So maybe your talent is that you can dunk a basketball. I can't dunk a basketball, but that's, but that's Actually, my life. I can't do that. <laughs> Right. You know what I'm saying like that's yeah. my life, right? And so, but that's their life. But the things that are hard for them, just like the things that are easy for them, are different. And so, every person's life is important to take into consideration, and their hardship is worth their experience because it's all part of the human experience. My life has been part of being a human on this planet, and so is your life. And sometimes yeah. you got to eat better food, maybe or whatever, or you got to have a comfier bed or whatever. But that doesn't matter. What matters is like your experience is still valid and what you know and what you learned is still valid, right? And so is mine. And that's what matters is everybody's story is has different hardships, different peaks and troughs, but it's still important to tell that story. It's important for that to be acknowledged and celebrated, respected. Yeah, That's my thought. No, and I, yeah, I totally agree. And then to be able to, hear and listen to other people and apply it to your own life or to give you that perspective. And then I think also, at least for me, one of the biggest things is just giving people grace because you're, I mean, you're so right. There are people that, I I mean, I have, I have people, friends in my life where I'm like, man, your life seems perfect that 
they just have never had to go through anything. But um, you truly don't know what people have gone through. I mean, unless they write a book, yeah. <laughs> you know, then it's you know, it's you know, you're an open book. Yeah. But um, but it's true. I mean, it really, yeah. It, it, I think it it helps you treat at least for me in my personal experience. It has really helped me treat other people better because um, you just never know what each individual person is going with because or is going through because a lot of times it's very far below the surface. I mean, for me personally, that's kind of my story mm. and what jump-started this and, you know. Yeah. It's not and, something and, that you would ever know just looking at me. And you shared and you shared a little bit off the air with me in this and that's, what, that's exactly what I mean. Like, sure, mm -hmm. you had a comfy bed, but I don't know what it's like to go through what you went through and that sounds really hard. That sounds really, really, really tough. And so um, I, I, you said it best right there is just having grace. Because I, I think the best thing that we can do is, is if you could read everybody's book, there's no person in the world that you can fall in love with. Even like a more, the really super hated person. That's so right? sweet. Yeah. And so yeah. like, wow. and so it's just, it's just having the willingness to like read the dang book right because <laughs> what, what's not okay what's not okay is when people i hear this all the time you hear it on the news like why and maybe maybe i'm just a little biased but like when i, I was talking about politics earlier I would, the constant thing i would always hear in nebraska growing up is why don't they just come here legally and it's like like to even begin to explain that to you i'd have to educate like the person asking this, not you, Nicole, but the person that's asking, like to even explain that is like, I'd have to explain like how the immigration system, like typically speaking, not everybody, but if you're asking that question, that what that tells me is it's not that you have a problem with me being here. You have, a, what you have is a lack of knowledge of how it is to try to come here, mm -hmm. right? Like if you knew my story, you wouldn't ask, why don't we come here legally? You know, you know what I'm saying? And right. by the way, we did, right? But like there's, when you start understanding the human behind the immigrant or the, you know, the, the, the mom or the teacher or like the person, like not, you don't see them as an immigrant. You don't see them as a Colombian. You just go, this is a person that's living and this is their story. And this is why they have to do here. It's very easy to then start asking different questions. The question isn't why aren't they coming here legally? The question is, like, what would I have done in that situation? Because when people ask me that, I'm like, what would you do? What would you do if your parents were murdered in front of you and you had to run from Mexico and you get to the chain link fence at the border and it's either go back to those people or try to make it through the desert and then get a job, even though you're not supposed to, and you know you're a good person, but you're breaking the law, which you makes you a criminal, which doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that you're a criminal because you broke the law which is a huge distinction, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could be a good person that by choice, you have to break the law because the opposite is you go back to where your parents were murdered. What do you, what would you do? Right. Then all of a sudden it starts yeah. going, Oh, well that makes sense. Why they don't come here legally <laughs> because yeah. that's why, right. you know? <laughs> so, so then, so then the questions, if you see it that way, then the questions start becoming, okay, what can we do to make this better for everyone? And then when we start having those questions and start leading with that perspective and that mentality, then all of a sudden it's not about Republican or Democrat or America and Mexico. It's not about any of that stuff. It's how do we take care of another uh, like human who right. deserves decency and respect? You know, 
And then that question, it doesn't have to be about immigration. It could be about anything. How do we solve, you know, how do we, how do we treat a human who is what, what, you know, who went through what you went through? Oh, right. now when we look at it with that perspective, it's like, oh, it has nothing to do with why did that happen to you? It's how can I help you feel seen and heard and understood and safe? That's important. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so how I kind of like to close all of my interviews, I say all of them, I've recorded one. (laughs) (laughs) My game plan. People don't need to know. (laughs) Is, um, (laughs) well, now they do, but, um, is just to any advice that you would leave, Mm. because I do know, you know, maybe, maybe a listener hasn't been in your exact shoes where they immigrated from a different country necessarily, but, um, for sure facing racism and, um, people treating them as less than, or, I mean, that occurs all the time um, in schools and communities and whatnot. So just your thoughts on when people beat you down, how to rise above that. Yeah. Um, There's a couple things. One, hurt people hurt people. So um, when someone's, again, at first I used to anger, I heard this at a church sermon one time. I thought it was really cool. My pastor, Ben Lowe's, shout out, bro. Um, he talked about, uh, there's like different levels of dealing with hate. The first is anger, which is, oh, by the way, all these are valid. So I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying this, I choose to look at it. So I understand anger. I've been there when people would be racist and I'm like, like, I am, I, I'm worthy. Like I had like almost angry that no, someone didn't see me as human. So that's fair. And that's totally a valid response. But then like, there's like a level above that where there's like, it's like pity. Cause that I did get to that point too, where someone would ask me like, why didn't you or like, why blah, blah, blah. It speaks Spanish. It don't speak Spanish or speak English. It's America. Some stuff like that. Um, or get out of my country. That's <laughs> people who say that. And, nice. and like pity because, I'd be like, oh, I feel sad for you that you don't know. Like, if you, I'm actually really cool. <laughs> like, if you got to know me, we could have been friends, but I'm Love sad. That. I'm sad for you because you're missing out on how fucking awesome I am. Sorry. How awesome I am. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, we'll leave it out. But then that's not, I mean, and that's valid because you are awesome. Everybody does, like, like we just talked about, everybody deserves the decency, deserves the decency of having that value. Um, but ultimately I think it just has to be, um, well, at least what I've arrived at is, is just making sure that you just treat it back with love. You, you reply with love that you give people love and you respond with just, it's okay. Not taking it personally, not letting it bother you, even though it can feel personal just letting it be and letting it marinate outside of you because that's not defining of who you are. That's how I choose to do it. It's like, hey, just because this person said this about me or this person feels this way about me, they're a human and these are their story would make sense on that way. So that's what I have to say, but yeah. I completely, I just resonated super well, made a lot of sense. So, okay. but, um, that's the end of Andres and I's second interview for the Rise Above series. And 
so thankful for all of you guys listening and supporting and hopefully this touched you or impacted your life in some way and we'll see you for the next one for sure and yeah come check out nicole's episode on my podcast that we probably will record soon yes yeah plug for ponytails podcast um it's hilarious and awesome go listen to it <laughs>